FromTheHeart.org Radio, in collaboration with Mayo Clinic, you are listening to Mayo Clinic Talks. Greetings. I'm Dr. Sudhir Kushwaha, Medical Director of uh, Mayo Clinic's Heart Transplantation and Ventricular Assist Device Program. And today on Mayo Clinic Talks, I'm joined by my colleague, Dr. Rocky Daly, who's the Surgical Director of the Heart Transplant Program. Today we'll be discussing heart transplantation. Welcome, Rocky. Thanks, Sudhir. It's nice to be here. Um, we're uh, going to talk uh, about uh, uh, transplanta- heart transplantation and uh, also a bit about uh, uh, VAD therapy uh, in these patients, both uh, as uh, regarding bridge to transplant and destination. And uh, uh, we'll try to follow a, a, a little bit of a logical course and start with uh, who might be a candidate for transplantation. And uh, that would probably be best uh, starting with you, Sudhir, and what, what your thoughts are about who is a, tra- a candidate for transplantation. Well, this is always a, um, a difficult issue. Um, we uh, have to really decide how best to allocate what is really a scarce resource. And so we try and go through a process um, which we refer to as a multidisciplinary selection process where we evaluate people who may be eligible on the basis of their severe heart failure to be considered for a heart transplant. And the reason this is important is that not only do we want a good outcome for the patients who we end up listing and subsequently transplanting. We want to really have um, some responsibility over um, appropriate allocation. So we look at a variety of factors as we try and assess this process. And some of those factors include, for instance, the age of the patient. Um, The older the patient is, then the more difficult the um, transplant procedure might become. There are comorbidities which we have to consider. Really, we want to ensure that the other organ systems work reasonably well. So, for instance, we look carefully at lung function. uh, We look at uh, liver function, renal function, the vascular system, and uh, factors which really may affect long-term outcome following the transplant itself. And then there are also um, uh, surgical factors which we have to consider because many patients have undergone previous surgery. Do you want to comment on that, Rocky? Uh, Just the presence of previous surgery isn't by itself a contraindication, but we do run into patients uh, who have, for example, uh, congenital heart disease and have had many operations or uh, complex anatomy uh, that would require reconstruction, and we have to consider the risk of the surgery along with the rest of the comorbid conditions that finally Uh, add up to some uh, particular risk in any given patient. Uh, The other issues regarding surgery are probably uh, uh, pulmonary hypertension. Uh, uh, Obviously, if the patient has significant pulmonary hypertension, the new right ventricle won't tolerate that well. Uh, And uh, sometimes uh, we have treated pulmonary hypertension with ventricular assist device uh, to uh, unload the right side of the heart uh, uh, by uh, reducing the wedge pressure, left atrial and wedge pressure, and we found that that often reduces the uh, uh, what, what may be reversible pulmonary hypertension. Um, those are probably the main uh, 
issues uh, in, in isolated heart transplantation. Yeah, I, I think those are very good points, Rocky. I think that uh, um, perhaps VAD therapy, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit in a few minutes, um, has changed the field in the sense that uh, there are patients now who uh, previously would not have been heart transplant candidates by virtue of um, markedly elevated pulmonary vascular resistance uh, who um, may be transformed into heart transplant candidates because we can put in this uh, device which will uh, provide chronic unloading of elevated filling pressures and hopefully bring the pulmonary pressures down. Now, that doesn't always happen. Sometimes we do have an irreversible fixed situation, and in that situation, it's very difficult to proceed with uh, transplantation. Now, Rocky, perhaps you could comment on, now that we we have this other option, um, who would you consider to be, in, in terms of um, trying to allocate organs, who would you consider to be a better transplant candidate than perhaps um, considering using a VAD as a long-term support mechanism, perhaps with no transplant at the end of it. Right. Well, that's that's sometimes it's easy, isn't it, to know which patient uh, is clearly not a candidate for transplant but has advanced heart failure, and we'd like to review whether they would be a candidate for uh, a destination therapy with a ventricular assist device, and. Uh, Sometimes it falls into the uh, a gray zone about uh, whether transplant or uh, destination therapy is the best uh, choice for that uh, a given patient. Uh, there are clear contraindications to transplant where uh, a, a destination therapy would make more sense. That would be perhaps a patient with a recent uh, cancer, a patient at high risk for uh, infectious disease uh, issues, uh, that won't tolerate immunosuppression. Uh, older patients, uh, uh, we find when uh, patients are over 65 and certainly over age 70, uh, we have done transplantation, but uh, often these patients are uh, developing other comorbidities that really preclude transplant as being practical. Uh, marginal renal function is another problem that we run into, uh, and. Uh, some of these patients uh, are not going to tolerate uh, long-term calcineurin inhibitors uh, and would be better off, uh, uh, especially if they're older, with destination therapy. Uh, so uh, sometimes it's fairly clear-cut. And then, then there are the patients where it's much more difficult and they're, they're not a good candidate for transplant because of obesity or, as we talked about, pulmonary hypertension or perhaps things that might be uh, reversible and then... Uh, a VAD is, becomes a, a bridge to decision, and uh, we offer them uh, opportunity to uh, have better exercise capacity, for example, a better quality of life, and perhaps uh, get uh, their BMI into a range that would be acceptable for transplant. It, it's a very tough thing. We've not had great success with these patients, but uh, in young patients with some of these problems that might be reversible, then a VAD as a bridge to decision uh, makes uh, makes some makes some sense. Yes, so that's um, uh, that's right. I think that um, as we discuss potential listing, it's worth noting the different levels of uh, of the listing uh, process um, and the 
priority system which has been put in place by the regulatory agencies. Now, um, we're just going to discuss a little bit about that. Um, there are different grades of listing, 1A, 1B, and grade 2 are the most commonly known. There's also patients who are, for whatever reason, inactivated on the list, and they are um, known as status 7 patients. Um, do you want to just mention a little bit about status 1A versus 1B, uh, Rocky, and uh, then we can talk about the, the um, status 2 as well? Sure. The uh, the levels are, are designed uh, to try to uh, pick patients with the greatest acuity uh, for transplant. And uh, having either, I don't know if it's the privilege or the curse of serving on the thoracic uh, committee with you and OSI, I've sat through the deliberations. And the deliberations uh, by the people on the committee who are very active transplant cardiologists and surgeons are uh, very uh, uh, sincere about trying to have a, a, a policy and a program where the sickest patients will have the best chance to get uh, transplanted. And that results in some changes in the policies over time. Uh, and also there is some controversy right now about trying to develop a policy that would eliminate waiting time and just uh, develop a, a heart allocation score and uh, there's been talk about this for many years. It's complicated enough that often the consensus has been that the current system has, is really the best uh, uh, system with a plan to make adjustments uh, as we go along. And one of the reasons for that is that as the technology in uh, VAD and total artificial heart support uh, changes and changes fairly rapidly, it it changes faster than an allocation scoring system can be developed, uh, approved, and implemented nationally. Um, so what we have now is a, a status 1A, which are uh, patients that are felt to be the sickest. That's patients who are on two inotropes or, and have a Swan-Gans catheter in place, or patients with a, an LVAD uh, who get 30 days of automatic 1A time or have complications from the uh, LVAD, total, total artificial heart patients who are inpatients, uh, and, uh, and then there are some other categories to try to uh, collect other patients who may be ill. And, and finally, there is a, a category where one can appeal uh, a, a particular patient's uh, uh, level to status 1A based, based on the their illness, but that they don't actually fulfill one of the specific criteria, such as having arrhythmias or uncontrollable angina uh, or some other uh, uh, issue. And, and that would be reviewed by these regional review committees that uh, uh, take on the, the chore uh, and the challenge of reviewing uh, the level that patients uh, are assigned to within a given region and try to reach consensus. Uh, and that, that, this forces all of the centers who are involved in transplant to all uh, agree on, on what's going to be acceptable in, in their region. Um, status 1B would be one step down, and that's patients on LVADs or inotropic support, and most of these are outpatients uh, and waiting status 1B. Uh, and the patients that don't qualify for that are status 2, which are still active for transplant but not requiring 
uh, either uh, IV inotropes or, or an LVAD. Um, now, obviously, there are regional differences, but um, for many regions, being status 2 basically means uh, the patient is followed on the list um, but is, practically speaking, not going to get transplanted. Would you not say that that's, uh, that's true for many regions? Oh, that's true for many regions. In our region, uh, getting transplanted as status 2, especially blood group ONA, is, is uh, pretty unusual now, and except for very small patients uh, or uh, other uh, size issues. So uh, practically, when we list patients for transplant now, we part of our uh, process of trying to help that patient who's dying from the heart disease is find a strategy to get them to transplant. And... Uh, that means uh, uh, when they're sick enough to be sure that we're moving with uh, IV inotropes or considering VAD therapy uh, for them uh, in a timely manner. Yeah, and, and also just to clarify, I think sometimes when somebody presents for potential assessment uh, for transplant consideration, we may very well list them status two because at that point in time, they're not necessarily sick enough to warrant more uh, aggressive therapies, but by following them carefully, we hope that we wouldn't miss the window um, when they start to decline, and then we can activate them and um, make them status 1A or status 1B. And in the meantime, as status 2 patients, they are accumulating time on the transplant um, waiting list. And, and so, of course, as we've already discussed, VAD therapy uh, does make for an automatic 1B status and uh, the uh, optional 30-day 1A time as well, uh, which becomes important uh, from a couple of fronts. The the 1A time for the VAD patient allows uh, for a window if if there's device failure or problems with the device, um, but also allows those patients to be um, carefully followed and uh, um, activated if they're declining despite the VAD therapy. Um, I think that it really means that um, we can try and optimize the timing for these patients. Um, anything else to add there, Rocky? Well, the waiting time has gotten longer, and that's resulted in the need to use VADs to just get patients to survive to transplant. So we know in some of the patients, uh, particularly uh, men and uh, uh, blood groups ONA, the waiting time is going to be long enough that the only way they have a chance to survive the transplant is with an LVAD. And uh, so we proceed with that uh, when it's appropriate. Okay, well, thank you, Rocky. That's the, um, um, the first part of our um, uh, two-part podcast to discuss transplant. Um, thank you very much. Thanks, Sudhir. You've been listening to Mayo Clinic Talks, Visit theheart.org to find out more.